Good evening, good evening. My name is Andrew Russell, pastoral fellow. I usually lead the singing, so I want to thank Kara and the rest of the band for just an awesome job. But let's pray before we get into it. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless your word, that you would speak to the hearts of your people, and that you would show us, Father, how to love. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You know, before I, got it, before I get into the sermon, it's amazing. I just want to just thank God because, you know, I came down here early, like around 4.15. I came into the garage, and I'm preparing for tonight, you know. And as I'm preparing, I look at the, the words on the paper, and I realize that this is the wrong sermon. <laughs> so the guy over there, you know, who gives you, I don't know if you park in the garage, but I drive out because I knew I had the key to the office and I rarely have the key to the church office. Kara and Keith could tell you. So I drive out and the, and the gentleman is like, you know, what are you doing? I said, look, I, I, I printed the wrong sermon. I need to run to the office. And then I realized when I got to the office, I didn't have my computer and that my wife and four kids were at home and that one of my, one of my, uh, child, one of, my, one of our children, was sick this whole weekend. And so I'm calling my wife. She's not picking up the phone. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just going to have to wing it tonight. <laughs> and I call my wife again and again, and she finally picks up the phone, and I hear screaming in the background, and I'm like, Stephanie, please help. I need you to, to take the sermon that says 2 Corinthians 5, Revised Virgin, email it to my email so that I could print it out at the office and by God's grace this is the sermon amen wow God really loves you guys because this was going to be something totally different but today I want to talk about motivation what motivates us to work hard what what motivates us to love what motivates us to serve? I've been tasked with the awesome opportunity to lead the Connect team, and, and the Connect team is responsible for welcoming visitors, for making you feel welcome and loved and accepted and cherished. We want to make you feel like this is family. So I pray that you have felt welcome if you're a visitor or if you're a first-time guest. And we also, in the Connect team, want to, want to pass this vision to the, to the congregation. You have an entire congregation just loving on people, not only welcoming strangers, but just loving each other. And I've also been tasked with the opportunity and the awesome responsibility to lead our evangelism team. And basically what evangelism is, is sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And so today or tonight, I want to talk about what motivates us to do these things? What motivates us to, to love others, to be welcoming, to be hospitable? And also, what motivates us to share the love of Christ? Well, Paul gives us a clear answer in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But before I share what Paul says, I would like to share the thoughts of someone completely different than Paul. His name is Daniel Pink. Daniel Pink is a New York Times bestseller, and he wrote one of his most recent books was called Drive. If you've, has anybody heard or read Drive? Okay, some of you. So Drive is basically 
in this book, Dan, author Daniel Pink is trying to understand what motivates us in the workplace. What motivates you to, 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 to not only productivity, but what motivates you for overall job satisfaction? And in his book, he's, he came to find out that companies have been relying on an outdated uh, uh, model for motivation. He calls this the carrot stick model or the if then. So typically, uh, most corporations, you know, you get financial incentives. If you reach this level, then you get this. So uh, many, in many of our workplaces, we have this type of motivation. It is the if-then motivator. It is the carrot stick model. And author Daniel Pink argues that companies that use this outdated model, it's helpful for rudimentary tasks, tasks that don't require complex thinking and creative problem solving. He says the if-then motivators really help. But if you are a company that's wanting to uh, motivate your employees to think create creatively and to solve complex problems, the if-then motivators actually decrease productivity. And so Daniel Pink is suggesting that he has come to find that it is intrinsic motivation that yields the best result, not so much so extrin extrinsic motivation. And so for the intrinsic motivators, he has, he has come up with three particular motivators. He says the three intrinsic motivators are autonomy, purpose, and mastery. I'll say it again. He says autonomy, purpose, and mastery. He said if companies, uh, if companies motivate their employees using these three intrinsic motivators, then they will see profit yields, job satisfaction, overall health of the company. And in, in an interview with the Harvard's Business Review, he says autonomy, he defines it, he says autonomy is self-direction. It is being able to work in a place where you, your, own, your own boss, you, you come in on your own time, you're productive, but you're autonomous. You can, you can direct yourself. And then secondly, mastery, which is the desire to get better and better at something that matters. Don't we all want to feel like we've mastered something in our jobs or in our workplace? And then the third is purpose. And purpose speaks to doing something in service of a greater or something that's greater than yourself. You're doing something that, that, that provides the, uh, uh, like, wow, I'm living for something greater than myself. Purpose. And so what is your motivation? Do you want to be able to be your own boss and have the autonomy to be creative? Do you want to get better at your job and achieve levels of mastery? Or do you want to make a difference in the world around you by finding your purpose? And I would say that the Apostle Paul would argue that purpose is the motivation. And many of us are trying to find our purpose. What is my purpose for living? What is the purpose? What is my purpose in the work that I do? What is my purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ? Paul would argue that our purpose, our motivation to love and serve is the love of Jesus Christ. 
Paul said, it is the love of Christ that compels me or controls me. It is the love of Christ that is my, that, that is my soul desire, my, my burning focus. This is Paul's motivation. And so tonight, I want to talk about two things, really one and a half things. So it's a 1.5 sermon. The first point is how the love of Christ motivates us. And the second point is how the love of Christ changes us. The love of Christ here means Christ's love for us. We understand this because Paul goes in through explicit detail in the depth of Christ's love. Let's look at it. Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we see Christ's love for us by his death and resurrection. God requires that we love him above all others, and secondly, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. We see this in the gospel in Matthew chapter 22. We are born not lovers, we, but we all, fall, we, we all fall short of this, don't we? I mean, the, we know the great command to love God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor as yourself. But I know this. We all fall short. I fall short of this. We are naturally not born lovers of God, but we are born lovers of self. We do not naturally love God because we don't see him as lovely. First of all, we, we know Christ's love and God's love for us because God created us out of love. After God created the heavens and the earth and he called light out of darkness and he uh, 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 called out the, the plants and the animals and the waters. After all of these things that God created, the, at the climax of God's creation was the creation of human beings, of man and woman in his image and after his likeness. You see, mankind was created at the height of God's creation. But because of man's first obedience being Adam, you all, we all know the story. So Adam and Eve were placed in Eden, the Garden of Eden, and God says that you can eat of any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when they broke that decision, when Adam ate of that fruit, the Bible says that sin entered the world. And so we all receive Adam's disobedience. We are born with this self-love. And so because of this, we no longer have peace with God. Our relationship with God is broken. We are alienated from God's presence. But the beauty of the gospel is God doesn't leave us in this hopeless state. God took the initiative in sending his son to earth to die for us. God's love always takes the initiative. It does not wait for us to get right before we are acceptable, but it makes us acceptable when we are at our worst. How many of you in here have seen the movie Blood Diamond? Anybody have seen Blood Diamond? Great film. I I, uh, encourage you to, to watch it if you have time. And I don't have time to go into all the details of the plot, but I'll try to uh, basically tell you just in, in a few words. So Blood Diamond is a movie about the illegal diamond trade in Sierra Leone. 
And the historical context is in Sierra Leone in 1999, where there's civil war raging between the government and local rebel groups that are fighting for control of the diamond mines. And this civil war is indirectly related, the, and this is the movie's uh, uh, words, not mine, but it's indirectly related for the American high demand of diamonds, engagement rings, and what they call the quote unquote storybook weddings. So this is a political, social, a little bit of social commentary. So here's the scene, you have Danny, who is a journalist, he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Danny is looking for a rare pink diamond. And Benjamin, who's a native of Sierra Leone, who helps to re rehabilitate these young boys who are former soldiers in the rebel army, they have a discussion. So you have Daniel, the journalist, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Benjamin, who is this uh, former soldier that rehabilitates young men in these rebel armies. And their discussion is based on this topic. Are people basically good? And I'll give you a brief run through. I'm not a good actor, um, but I'll just bear with me. So Benjamin says this. He says, my heart always told me that people are inherently good. My experience suggests otherwise. But, but what about you, Mr. Archer? Would you say that people are mostly good? And then this is Danny being Leonardo DiCaprio. He says, no, I'd say they're just people. And then Benjamin answers, he says, exactly. It is what they do that makes them good or bad. A moment of love, even in a bad man, can give meaning to a life. None of us know which path will lead us to God. So Benjamin and, and Danny, they go on to talk and they suggest that man is this blank slate. And this philosophy is, was developed by Aristotle and later developed by John Locke in the 17th century. He's a British philosopher. This philo philosophy argues that man is neither inherently good nor bad. Man decides his own destiny through, their, through his or her various actions. Men and women are essentially born morally neutral, and by experience, they become morally good or morally bad. Men and women is in a, con on a constant state of becoming, they argue, and his actions or her actions determine their moral character. Now, Paul would, would strongly disagree Paul teaches in Romans 5.12, therefore, as through one man, sin entered into the world, and being Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And according to, man, uh, to Paul, man is not morally neutral. In fact, because of Adam's disobedience that spread to all mankind, man is morally bankrupt. And we are not morally neutral people that make bad choices. We are morally bankrupt people who find it hard to make good choices. And, they, and, and this conversation between Benjamin and Danny goes on to, to say that, you know what, even though it's hopeless, Benjamin says, love can change a bad person. He says that no one is beyond goodness. Now, Paul says that the, the love of Christ compels me, it, it controls me. 
Christ's love transforms bad people, and, and God doesn't want to change bad people to good people, but he's changing bad people to children of God and to ambassadors of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Christ's redemption for us is not behavior modification. It's not, you know what, I need to be a better person. But the purpose of Christ's redemption for us is identity transformation. Paul says we have become a new creation. We are new people in Christ. The theme of union with Christ is all throughout Paul. We see it through all of his letters. And there is only one path to God, Paul would argue, and that is in Christ. Now, when it comes to love, when, when we hear the love of Christ compels us, you know, Paul was, he, he, if you know the story of Paul, Paul actually persecuted Christians. He threw Christians in jail. He, 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 saw, he murdered Christians. And this person, can you imagine someone, if you are a Christian during that era, and you have Paul, you're running away from him. If you, if you even heard of, of, of Paul, you, you would run, you would hide. And here, the, the Bible says in, in, in Acts 1, I believe, or Acts 9, sorry, that Paul was on the road to Damascus one day, and a light just shone from heaven and blinded him. And in the light, the voice came, and, and Jesus spoke to Paul and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And from this experience, Paul saw the love of Christ. He was blinded and he found sight. And Jesus told him to go to this particular gentleman and he would explain the things that I have for you to do. And, and later, Paul would find out that Jesus Christ loves him so much that he has chosen Paul for a specific mission, which is to share the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jews. And so can you imagine this, this person who was a murderer, who was a persecutor of Christians, who, who if you had a church and you saw Paul, everybody would run for the exit doors. And yet this person comes in, transformed by Jesus Christ, sits in a, stands up in a pulpit and preaches the love of Christ. Only Christ's love can, can, tr can transform murderers and persecutors into lovers of people, into lovers of God. And many of us are waiting. We're waiting for someone to love us like that. We want to feel and experience genuine love. We want to know that someone cares. The reality is that God has loved you even before you even knew what love really was. He didn't wait for you to come to him, but he came to you. Love takes the initiative. The love this love compels us to welcome newcomers into our midst. You see, as a, as a word of application, we cannot wait for people to come to us, but we must go to them because love takes the initiative. We must be such a, a loving community that our love spills into all areas of our lives even before we come into the church. Sunday is not the only day to be hospitable to strangers. We must take the initiative every single day to love God first and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But this is so hard, right? It is so hard to love someone who is different. It is so hard for me to love a Cubs fan right now. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness up in here? Golly, game five, come on. That play was illegal. They should have reviewed that play. Y'all know that play that I'm talking about. 
It's hard for me to love someone who likes to eat octopus and squid and, and uh, it's hard. I knew I grew up in the islands, but I grew up feeding them things as little kids. They were pets. It's hard for us to love someone who is different than you, who, who thinks different than you, who votes different than you, who is in a different socioeconomic group than you. And yet, 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 7 and 14, God says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. You see, God identifies with his people. He says, if my people who are called by my name, when you are in Christ, when you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God says, you're my people. And God's people is, uh, they have different, God's people come from different backgrounds, different, different ethnic groups, uh, they, they, different skin colors, different food uh, uh, preferences, different preferences when it comes to, to teams. God's people are cubs and gnats. Some of God's people are Republicans and Democrats, and yet God would say, if my people who are called by my name, God associates with us. And he wants us to associate with others. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is this. You know, if we can't identify with the other, if we can't identify with someone who's different than us, then how can we learn to love the other or serve them well? God identifies with anyone who would put their faith and trust in him. God even identifies with people who don't believe. The Bible says that he, God wishes no one to perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news of the gospel. God not, not only forgives sins, but he heals our land. Did you read it? In, in, uh, you hear it in 2 Corinthians 7, 14. He says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves uh, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. He cares not only about us, but he cares about the environment that we inhabit. Man, that's some serious love. That's, it's one thing to love somebody, it is another to love the environment, the place, the house, the neighborhood, the community that you dwell in. That's some serious love. That's why Paul said that after Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead for our righteousness, he made us a new creation and ambassadors for Jesus Christ who would bring renewal and reconciliation to all of creation. The new creation is not only a personal renewal, but it also is a creational renewal. I think a lot of times we take Christianity so individually. We're like, it's a personal relationship, it's me and God, it's my spiritual walk, and yet God is calling us to renew the creation. He's calling us to be reconcilers. He's calling us to, to love the others, First, before you even love yourself, and even before you love the other, to love him first. And the Bible says, the Christ, uh, Paul says, love of Christ compels me because we know that one died for all, therefore all died. And he rose from the dead so that we can no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and raised from the dead for us. 
Romans 8, 19 through 21 says, for the creation waits for the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the creation is waiting for God's people to rise up. So will you rise up if you are God's people? Will you love those who are different? Will you take the initiative and not wait for someone to come to you, but to go to them? You know, I asked my five-year-old son, his name is Judah, he's my oldest, and we had this conversation the other day, and it, it was actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing this sermon on motivation, so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna ask him a question, I'm gonna use it as an illustration. So it was a setup, it was a setup. But he gave some great answers, and I really want to share them. So I asked him, Judah, what can I do to motivate you to clean your room? And you know what he said? He said, Daddy, just give me gum. That's all you need to do. <laughs> just give me some gum. Then I asked him, you know, what if I asked you to love your sister? Do I have to give you gum? And then he laughed because he knew that the motivation to love his sister is not in the gum, but it is in the thing itself. Many of us are not motivated to love others because we don't see the benefit in it for us. What if I said, you know, be welcoming to visitors because if you, if you be welcoming to visitors, then church attendance will grow, the weekly offerings would increase, and then we would have a bigger budget to do more ministry. Yes, that may motivate you to love others, but is that really love? We should love others because Christ loved us first and wishes that no one would perish, but that all would surrender their lives to him. Now, you might say, you know, Andrew, that sounds good and everything. It sounds very theological, but I don't know how to love sacrificially like Christ does. I'm not, I'm not prepared to die for somebody. Well, here's how you can start. You can start by loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then as you love God with everything that you have and surrender your life to him, watch how he transforms you to love others. You know, a lot of us, we're like, I can't love the other. I can't love someone who's different. A lot of us have a hard time loving the people that look like us, that think like us, that vote like us, that eat like us, that go to the sport the same and chair and root for the same sports teams as us. So we need to learn how to love one another before we can love the other. Amen? Now, you might say, you know what, Andrew? I don't feel like a new creation or a new creature. The old sin habits are still there. I don't see a change in my life. Now listen to Paul. Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, and keep in mind, this is, this is a brother who God transformed his life so much so that he is no longer a murderer of Christians and a persecutor of Christians, but he is a, a, a missionary. He, is a, he plants churches. He loves, I mean, he wrote Corinthians and Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. I mean, 
the Bible, uh, he has a lot of the, the Bible that is attributed to him, obviously, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, even this great man could say this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But before he gives up, before he just throws in the towel, he says, but thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know about you, but I said this before in another sermon. I'm thankful for the but gods, right? It's like, man, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I'm, 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 I'm imperfect. Sometimes I, I don't feel motivated to do this. But because of your love for me, not my will, but your will be done. And in Numbers 23, 19 through 20, God says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? When God says, you are a new creation, and the old has passed away, will he not fulfill his promises? The same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead so that we can be perfect in God's sight is the same God who does not leave us in the grave of our sins. God specializes in raising the dead. He specializes in fulfilling his promises. He specializes in changing old habits and old ways to new, to new. Will you humble yourself? Will you confess your power, powerlessness to change yourself and ask God to do it because if he promised to save, he will save. If he promised to deliver, he will deliver. When God decides to act on your behalf, you don't need to call a contractor to fill in the gaps. You know, we live in a DIY environment. Y'all know what that means, do it yourself. You know, we, and some of you are really good at it. Some of you have built your own homes. Some of you have done some amazing projects and I've seen some of your work and it is great. So don't get me wrong when I say this, but we live in this DIY environment where we feel like we have all the information to fix our own problems. But what happens when our work starts to show that it wasn't done correctly? What happens when the, uh, the, the, the house of our lives is, is kind of shaky or the windows of, of our conscience is you look at the window, it's uneven, and the, the person didn't, you didn't put the ceiling in right. You look and you, you see a couple shingles missing because you've tried to do it yourself. But then what happens, right? We, we try to do it ourselves. We, 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 we try to fix the basement or do the, the porch project or whatever project that we do. And then we're like, man, I didn't do it right. So who do we call? We call the professionals, don't we? Brothers and sisters, when it comes to knowing what true love really is, when it comes to being delivered from your worst problem, which is alienation from God, when it comes to being made new, I know of no other professional. I know of no other savior. I know of no other God than Jesus Christ who can love, who can deliver, who can make new. So then, the question tonight is, what is your motivation? Well, the love of Christ and the power of God to make old creatures new, that should be our motivation to love and to serve. 
Imagine if we live out that love. Imagine visitors coming into this place and like, man, there's something different about these people at Grace Downtown. I don't know if it's in the way that they smile or the, the coffee hour afterwards. I don't know if it's in the way that they greet or the way that they love one another. There's something different. When we share the love of Christ, we, we, a lot of times when we think evangelism, we're motivated by guilt or fear or, I mean, think about this. If you, we all, some of us have Apple products. When the new product comes out, we can't wait. When the, when the uh, you know, when the new uh, restaurant comes out, we can't wait. When the new baby comes, we can't wait. We can't help but to share like, oh my goodness, look at this. The iPhone 7, it does just the thumb, but the iPhone 8, man, it does the face. Can you see that? Can you believe this? Oh, look at this, this new, rest, this new restaurant. It serves this and this and this. We, we, we share just the excitement of something that's new. And yet God says, behold, I've made all things new. And if you've trusted in me, you're a new creation. And can you imagine Paul like, man, look at what God did in my life. And that's all evangelism is. It is sharing the love of Christ. It isn't trying to break down someone's argument. It's not trying to wrestle someone to the ground and be like, all right, do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? But it, all it is is loving people like Christ's love. And I, trust me, I want to be loved like that. I want a marriage like that. I want to love my, my son and my daughter like that. I want to love you like that. And I know it's hard, but thanks be to God who makes old things new. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for your great love. We thank you that you have taken the initiative, that you have not, wait, you have not waited for us to come to you, but that you, Father, have come to us. Father, your word says that even before the foundations of the world, that you set your love and affection upon us. And so, Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would experience that love that love that takes the initiative, that love that is, is sacrificing, that love that is kind, that love that is transforming, that love that makes the old new. And Father, when we experience that love, Father, may our lips not be silent, may our hands not be in our pockets, may our feet not stay in our own homes, in our own communities, but may we go forth with excitement because we know that we have experienced a special love. May you motivate us by that love. In Jesus' holy name, amen.